Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, December 13th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing this weekend's box office and more specifically, the underperformance of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. This is Slash Home editorial director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home news desk writer and box office nerd Brian Scott. Uh, hey, everyone, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for so much. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for having me today, Peter. Yeah, this is your first time on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure people listening to the podcast know that over the last few few months or this past year, we've expanded the the amount of writers on the site considerably. Uh, we we have yet to open the gates and have uh, a lot of them appear on the podcast. So you're one of the first, Ryan. Um, and with that, people don't know who you are unless they're reading the site. So why don't you tell people about yourself? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, it's an honor to be one of the first, man. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and um, it is it is appropriate given what we're going to be talking about here in a minute. But um, yeah, so uh, if anyone's read my stuff, I, I tend to focus a lot on like the businessy side of stuff. I write a lot about box office, which I love. Um, you know, uh, for some reason, I don't even know why going back to when I was very young, uh, I, I obsessed over box office stuff, like in a way that like a kid shouldn't. It was very weird. Um, <laughs> like it was very peculiar for me to like care about movies that I liked and like what they made at the box office at like 13 or 14 years old. It was very strange. Yeah. Other kids um, were like worrying about like the stats on their uh, baseball cards or something. I don't know. Maybe that's dating me. That's probably too. <laughs> no, no, there was stuff like is like there was definitely comparisons like that. And like I didn't really ever have anyone to talk about it with because it was a really bizarre thing that I sort of <laughs> like it, it came to care about. I don't know. But then um, as luck would have it, I ended up finding a way to make money doing it. But um, <laughs> uh, well, that, that is the secret to life is find, find something you love and find a way to make money doing it. So if you, if you can somehow fall face first into it like I did. Um. Beyond that, like as far as movies go, um, I'm I'm uh, I jokingly describe myself as a popcorn eating rube. Uh, I, I like uh, <laughs> uh, p- popcorn movies, big blockbuster stuff. 
it seems like a lot of the time, like within the peers in this industry, like the people that I respect and love, um, you know, they they might hate like a big movie or something. And I'll kind of be the one guy that that does this. That's like, now, hold on a second. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, you know, your, your Star Wars is your Jurassic parks of the world. That's kind of where I live. Yeah. I feel like you're, you're a kindred spirit in that sense. I, I feel like, uh, getting to know you over the last few months in our, our Slack channel, uh, we have a lot of the same taste in movies. And, uh, I think a couple months ago you did on the site, every time we get a new writer, we like to have them on the site, uh, list their top 15 favorite movies and, uh, you know, in the top 10, I think you had three Star Wars movies. I did all three of the original trilogy. Yeah, because you're not going to make me choose between like, that's not <laughs> they're all just as the, 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 the problem with those movies is like, yes, I list Return of the Jedi as my favorite. But like those three movies are such a formative structure and like my being way beyond being movies that it's like you can't make me choose. Yeah, I think I cheated when I did mine for the site and I just put one entry as like the Star Wars series. <laughs> so. I, I thought about that, but I but I felt that they all also like I also wanted to make it very clear because I'm one of those like Return of the Jedi guys where I like stand by Return of the Jedi. And I'm like, yes. no, 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 I want to make it very clear that like this is my favorite and this is not childhood nostalgia talking that I still like 2000% will back up everything in that movie to the point where I got to choose the header image for that article. And I put Admiral Akbar like, as the, <laughs> as the header image to the whole article. Like yes. Um, and, and not only do you love box office, but your number one favorite movie of all time is a Steven Spielberg film. It is a Spielberg. I also count as my favorite director. So this is a, uh, yeah. Yeah, for those of uh, you who didn't read the list, actually, no, I'll, I'll put the list in the show notes. You can click it and find out. Oh, great! Which yeah, is Spielberg's I, I, movies <laughs> and what else he like? There's a good chance I'll mention it at this at some point anyway. But yeah, yeah. this is a yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's 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 segue into the box office. Uh, tell us what what happened this past weekend at the box office. Uh. Okay, I'll go ahead. Since I try not to be a negative Nancy all the time, I'll go ahead and start with the good news is that uh, uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which has been described as a passion project by him for a long time, uh, it opened at number one, which is good. Um, <laughs> it, uh, but it, um, uh. it, it made $10.5 million, which was, I think, the biggest. For, for, so, look, jokes aside, that's not good. Like, it's, it was a $100 million budgeted musical. That is not good. Um, but for context on how not good that is, Disney's Encanto, which has been out for three weeks now, came in at number two, and it made $9.4 million in its third weekend. So West Side Story barely made a million more than a Disney musical not based on anything in its third weekend did. So, mm. you know, even if you don't follow this stuff as closely as I do, that might help to illustrate the point that this is not what any studio wants to see when you have a Spielberg movie with a hundred million dollar budget on its opening weekend. Yeah. I, I think in every sense of the word, this is probably at this, at this point in time, at this moment in time, considered a bomb of a box office. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's things to talk about there, especially with the movie being released this time of year and especially with musicals and especially with an example from recent history, I believe we're going to talk about, but I think the biggest problem is, and I, like uh it's weird 
how much focus is put on domestic box office to me specifically, because I think like internationals become so important. And to that end, West Side Story opened in just shy of 40 markets internationally. And it worldwide to this point has made like 14.5 million. So it only made 4.4 million internationally in those markets. So, ouch. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at like a $100 million budgeted movie, you are counting on a certain amount of international audience to show up. So, I mean, you know, it's still got a lot of rollout to do, but I mean, these early numbers are. How, how much money does this need to make at the box office? Isn't it like usually double? the amount of the budget so that would be like 200 or 300 i guess maybe after well, marketing i'll try to so I, I did i wrote something about this a while ago i'll try to go over this as briefly as possible uh but basically so and so this is not accounting for like studio accounting where like crooked studio accountants try to say the harry potter movies are still in the red like which absolutely <laughs> isn't true but like um because the th- joke i always make is that like you know if the movie business were actually a business and it made what people say it made like the business wouldn't make any sense like there was that thing floating around recently where like bohemian rhapsody made 950 million dollars at the box office and fox was still trying to say that it was 60 million in the red like yeah. i you know if, if if that's the case then no movie ever makes any money but anyway uh, so essentially you take a hundred million dollar budget the rule of thumb for that is that you double that for marketing so that puts you at 200 million now if your movie makes 200 million at the box office that's great but roughly, very roughly, half of that stays with the theaters. So that means about $100 million of that would get back to the studio. So roughly speaking, if you look at historical precedent, a movie with a $100 million budget would probably need to clear about $300 million at the global box office to be considered a modest success. Uh, a recent example might be Shazam, uh, which was somewhat cheap for a superhero movie. Uh hundred million dollar budget and then it made like three just shy of 350 worldwide you know that's getting a sequel so that's kind of a you know maybe sort of a barometer for maybe what the studio was hoping for here yeah and typically a movie will make three to four times its opening weekend if it's lucky actually yeah Uh, i think the multiplier thing that we used to use is completely gone out the window with covid like that's one of the biggest things we're gonna have to change with the way we all look at this stuff because yeah, the multiplier thing is just done like the way that, you know, it, it, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I guess the first question is, you know, this movie is critically acclaimed. Um, Massively. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of the highest uh, movies of the year on Rotten Tomatoes. If you go to like IMDb 8.1 out of 10 for user ratings, uh, got a, a cinema score. Like it, it is loved by both critics and the audiences who actually showed up. So I'm wondering, can award buzz save this? Because, you know, the today we had Golden Globe Awards, which we're really not talking about on the site because of, we don't care about them. But, um, you know, once the Academy Awards and the the, the film critics and all, all the the big stuff that are coming in the next month or two, is, is that enough that it could possibly save this? Uh, simple answer, no. Um, <laughs> but like, but I think the problem right now is because we're still grading everything on a COVID curve. There's like a ton of movies that everyone's like, oh, can award season save this? Like right now I'm looking at like House of Gucci where like it's doing better than Last Duel did, but 
you're looking at a 93 million worldwide gross on a 75 million dollar budgeted movie you're really kind of hoping that like some oscar love will get that movie some some buzz you're looking at like a lot of smaller movies like you know come on come on french dispatch um i'm looking at like uh well it's kind of already out of theaters now but like spencer or you're looking at you know some of these movies that that you know, really, really underperformed, like Belfast made like nothing, you know, you're looking at these movies that are in the award season conversation that are really hoping like, Hey, maybe once we get some award season buzz, we can get some people out to see this thing. And West side story is perhaps the, the biggest possibility of getting a boost from award season because it's Spielberg, because it's a recognizable name, you know, because you're likely to see a very small drop next week and the week after because of the holiday season, but a small drop from 10.5 is still bad. So there is precedent for this happening before. So like in 2017, uh, Great Showman came out into $8.8 million, which is considered very underperforming. But then that soundtrack kind of went trending uh, that uh, this this is me or whatever that song is that was like everywhere that year, and that film ended up doing four hundred thirty six million dollars globally. So this doesn't mean that this necessarily will end up underperforming even by pandemic standards. Why do you think this is underperforming? I mean, look, there's the problem is right now with any of these movies is you're sort of doing a lot of guesswork. Um, you know, there's no question the pandemic is still an effect, especially with like the new variant going around. You have, I don't know if people realize like certain international markets have imposed restrictions, lockdowns again. So you have some of that stuff in terms of international, but in terms of domestic, we've seen all year, like, yes, the box office has recovered a lot, but it's only because those handful of big superhero movies and sequels have performed. Everything else has struggled. Like, you have your relative horror head here or there, but almost nothing outside of a horror movie or a gigantic superhero movie has done anything. So, like, you know, yeah. In the Heights failed this year. Dear Evan Hansen failed this year. You know, so, like, there were no, there was no reason to think another musical, Spielberg or otherwise, was going to do any better. <laughs> you know, and I hate to say that, and I don't... Is this a sign that movie mu- musicals are on a decline? I wrote about this a bit today when I wrote my like box office analysis, I don't know that there's a decline. I think that unless you are Disney musicals have always been a huge gamble. And you know, if you look in the last handful of years, aside from greatest showman, I don't count mama Mia. Here we go again, because that was a sequel to an established hit musical. You know, you look at like La La Land was the exception to the rule. Not some, not some indication that, Oh, movie musicals are back because if, again, if you're not Disney, you haven't really had a lot that have done gangbusters business, you know? So like it, it's every once in a while you have like, I, I think the hope was maybe that West side story would be like Les Miserables, you know, like where, where that managed to break out. And I think it did Les Miserables did, I think like somewhere in the 450 million range, which is great. But I, but you know, I, I think by pandemic standards, I think it was tough to, to expect that West side story would, would do that. I know in Slash Film, Hannah thinks that it's partially bad marketing despite the great reviews. I think any of the theory. So there's been a lot of that theory surrounding like a lot of the 20th century studios releases that like Disney sort of inherited. And I'd even go back to New Mutants and say that they've they've done a hell of a job attempting to market these movies. Uh, you know, I, I'm no I'm by no means a marketing expert, but I think like if you're going to try to sell West Side Story, 
Like, again, I have no... I don't care about musicals at all. That first West Side Story trailer, to me, was incredible. You know, like, that's that's a good trailer. The posters were much more interesting than your average movie poster. Like, again, I'm not a marketing expert, but I think it would be tough to pin that. You know, what you don't have is an A-list star, and the one kind of A-list star you have is a guy who's sort of in trouble right now. So, so you, you, you know, that to me is more of a, that to me is more of, more of a trouble than, than the marketing, but maybe at worst, maybe at, at worst, the- I was going to say another thing you don't have right now is older audiences. So like, you know, older audience, like what you mentioned earlier, we're seeing things like superhero movies and horror films doing really great at the box office. And the reason why that is, is younger people are going to the theater and older audiences are staying home and waiting for the premium VOD or the streaming or whatnot because of uh, either because of the pandemic or because the pandemic has kind of pushed us into a reality where people don't want to go to movie theaters. Anymore. I think that's twofold. So I think like um, I'd be curious to see the breakdown of this once it comes out, but uh, older audiences are certainly being more selective, but no time to die, which just crossed 770 million worldwide this weekend uh, largely due to older audiences. So they will show up when the right thing, you know, comes around. Uh, uh, I think the biggest thing in general is just that, like, consumer habits have been irrevocably changed. We're almost two years into a pandemic where, um, you know, movie theaters were shut down. And then a lot of people who would sort of reluctantly go to the theater to see what they wanted just because it was out that weekend now have the option for <clears throat> premium VOD streaming, stuff like that. Um, I, I kind of just have, I, I'm tending to think now that it's more of a consumer habits thing where you, it was pretty easy to train consumers to go, oh, I can rent this movie from home and I do not have to go to a theater anymore. Like there's a reason now that like websites sort of have to tell people this is where and when you can watch a thing because it's no longer as easy as it's in theaters and three months later it's not. I, I was also t- trying to think about this more broadly, like why might this movie not appeal to younger audiences? I, I feel like younger audiences probably don't have the affection for Spielberg that we do. Number one, number two, maybe, maybe stories about forbidden interracial romances don't appeal to younger audiences because interracial romance is like the norm today. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like back in the day, like the, the Romeo and Juliet's and like the, that was kind of like a more of a story that, uh, we sought after, and I feel like maybe this doesn't hit that demographic. You know, that's possible. Uh, again, circling back to something I said earlier, I am our resident popcorn-eating rube. Uh, I am not the guy to do a lot of deep analysis <laughs> on stuff like that. Um, I, I, I always jokingly say I'm a surface-level watcher. Uh, you know, like, there's a reason I'm, like, a piss-poor critic when I'm asked to review something, um, in, in a sense that, like, so... That's an interesting theory, but in my gut, I feel like I can almost find recent examples to sort of refute that on some level. Um, I just think... Yeah. I mean, probably even Beauty and the Beast, in a way, which was a couple of years ago, was the biggest mu- movie musical in... 1.6 billion, I think. It was like a... Tr- tr- types of, yeah. It made the kind of money we're never going to see a movie make again. Like, it's... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still... I'm still wondering if, like we're ever going to see a movie do like well over a billion again. Like, I think, I think you'll sometimes see a movie like, I think no way home could get to a billion 
like if let's say the reviews are good and you you get you know some of those big moments um but i think you're gonna see like the biggest of big movies limp to a billion now whereas like before we were seeing we were starting to see like a handful of movies every year get there if not blow by it and i just think that like i don't know the other thing i talked about a lot circling back to the point at hand was that i think even if you look at pre by pre-pandemic standards uh green lighting any musical at a hundred million dollar budget was asking a lot like even with still spielberg <laughs> you know because i mean you just you just historically speaking you have a literally a handful of non-disney musicals that have ever made like 350 million dollars worldwide you know so you're asking spielberg to say do something that's only been done a couple of times before you know, like that, you know, that, that's so yeah. pandemic, notwithstanding, I, I mean, to be fair, if you're going to ask that of anybody, Spielberg's the guy to ask that. Right. Of. <laughs> which is why, which is why you do it, which is why 20th century Fox before the Disney merger said, go nuts, Spielberg, you know, like, and, and of course you take that bet. It's the same reason that with the last duel, which is going to go down as the biggest bomb of the year, if not the decade, even though we're just starting this decade. Um, it's the same reason you give Ridley Scott, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Adam Driver $100 million for a historical epic. You know, like Disney, if they didn't take that deal, there was every studio in town was lined up to buy that package from, from Ridley Scott. You know, so like I see why you take that deal. I see why you make that bet, especially with, you know, there's only so many franchises out there. You can't keep making superhero movies. You've got to bet on something at some point. But, you know, I'm just saying, you, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty benefit of hindsight being yeah it's a lot to ask to say let's make this musical for a hundred million dollars and expect it to make superhero movie money i know people don't want to hear yeah. that there's a lot of people that really like this movie but you know i am annoyingly pragmatic and you know that is that is kind of my you know that's <laughs> sort of the you know i want there to be room for spielberg to do anything he wants but yeah let's talk about that spielberg in recent years has been doing kind of a thing where he makes one movie that is for the award crowd for the adults for the um for him i guess um and then he goes and he makes one for the mainstream audiences right and i i think that this one was the one for the mainstream audiences not for the award i mean i guess it, he was hoping it was going to cross both yeah. i'm guessing is the intention um you know, I would be curious to, like, if you could get him to, like, give you a really <laughs> honest answer about that. Because my suspicion at this point, like, you know, you look at Spielberg walked away from Indiana Jones 5. I think at this point, he's literally yeah. just going to do exactly what he wants to do and only exactly what he wants to do, taking zero thing, zero else into consideration. Like, and I think that's why he walked away from that. I would guess that, like, this has been a passion project of his for a long time. I think he was a guy that was able to be like, sure, I can on paper sell this for a hundred million dollars. I don't know that he cared. I think he wanted to make it the way he wanted to make it. And he got the money to make it, you know, like, be, like, does anyone like, does Spielberg care at this point of a movie that he really wanted to make flops? I mean, I think he cares a little bit, but I think like he's more concerned about doing what he wants to do. I would guess. Yeah. I'm guessing in the end, he, he only cares if, if it's received well. I mean, it, you have to care about if it does well because that affects how much money you get to make the next one. I just I have thoughts about that. If you look at like Ridley Scott's sort of spotty track record, but there's certain guys that 
you know, because they're them, we'll, we'll find a way to get the money. And I think Spielberg's one of those guys that, like, yeah. you know, he can have four flops in a row, but suddenly if it's Spielberg coming to you with this idea, he's going to get the money. You know, So, like, I feel like at this point in his career, he's like, yeah, let's just get the money. Let's do the thing. I'm not even sure if this at this point in his career, like, what you're saying, if Spielberg cares about what audiences want. But uh, as someone, you know, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. You know, I, I, I love his movies. In in recent years, the movies that he has done that I think were supposed to appeal to broad audiences have not appealed to the broad audiences in the ways that he had hoped. Like the BFG, I think, didn't. Yeah, know, that's a, that's kind of an interesting one. R- r- yeah, for sure. That, that that's, but I think that's like a weird yeah, outlier for sure. Like in his whole career, like because well, there's even like you know, Tintin was kind of a weird choice and and ready player one i don't think uh you know one as wide as it wanted to even crystal skull which seemed like it should have been a home run for mainstream audiences didn't Mm. quite i mean it it did well yeah i was gonna say if you want to look at like pure pure commercially like crystal skull was gigantic financially and then if you look at ready player one i think I don't have the number pulled up, but I think it was something like 540 million worldwide. Um, yeah. I mean, any studio in the world, you say right up front, you go, would be happy. We're going to give you Spielberg. We're going to give you a hundred and fifty million dollar blockbuster, and it's going to get 540 million worldwide. They're going to, they're going to a hundred percent like happily take that deal, like you know, without without any sort of like compunction yeah. about it. So I think the. Uh, I do agree in the sense that it seems like he is kind of trying to do the whole Brando one for them, one for the condo thing, I guess, or at least he was, I don't know. I don't know (laughs) if he is anymore, but like it, it was, it's, I do agree with you though. It it is weird. I didn't think about it that way. That West side story almost seemed like both. Like you're right. It did seem like if you're going to make a, a a sort of like award season movie that also could be like, again, going back to La La Land, like maybe he sort of saw that as like, now is my time. You know, because he had apparently been thinking about doing this for a long time, but you know, it's one of those weird things. It's it's yeah. it's unfortunate. It sucks. Even though like I didn't love the movie, that's just because I don't love musicals. It's got nothing to do with. It was an excellent like Chris, uh, uh, who works for us, our 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 beloved critic Chris. Yeah. He loved it, and he's like he puts it at top shelf Spielberg. Like I could easily see that. Like that's e- that you could easily make that argument. So it's a shame. It's a shame, but. You know. I mean, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I saw the movie. I do think Spielberg is hitting on all cylinders with this movie. I, I think the cinematography, the staging, the acting, like, everything. Like, it's just, it is great. But I'm just not a movie musical guy. And it's, like you said, it, it can only hit, it reach a, a certain bar. Do you know what I mean? Well, it, it, like, yeah, if, if something's not for you, like, it's, like you know, I... I if you don't like horror movies and I try to show you the thing and be like, this is great. Like you're, there's only, it's only going to go so far, you know, like it, it doesn't matter. Like if you don't like horror movies and I'm like, the conjuring is great just as like a great movie, even if it's a horror movie, like, you know, you, you just, it's not everything's for everyone yeah. and that's fine. But that kind of goes to that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to end this off, uh, I, I know that you usually are writing the analysis of the box office, but I thought I would put you on the spot about <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. You mentioned this. It's coming out. 
Uh, it's coming out this week? Uh, it comes out technically Thursday night. Correct? Yeah, technically Thursday night. What do you think it's going to do in its opening weekend? Um, I am of the opinion right now uh, that this is going to be the first movie that does, like, pre-pandemic, like, huge numbers. Like, where, like, we're not adjusting on the COVID curve, where we're like, this is... This is just an unapologetically big movie. Um, so I think we're definitely going to see the first $100 million plus opening. Uh, I t- so what What has been our uh, highest opening? Uh, Venom. Venom. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which hurts a little to say that. But yeah, like 90, 90 million, I think, is what that <laughs> did. So um, yeah, and then that's, and that's approaching 500 worldwide. So um, but yeah, I suspect... I suspect No Way Home, not only are we talking domestic, though, I think we're also looking at something that has a gigantic international appeal, and then also, I believe, has already secured a release in China, which is, I, I've written a thing about this, too, but I don't think people realize <laughs> how big, so, like, for example, the first Venom made, I think, $880 million worldwide, and something like $250 million of that was from China. So if you look at like Venom, Let There wow. Be Carnage didn't get a China release, but it's almost at 550 or 500 worldwide. So let's say it had done comparable numbers to what the first one did in China. You'd be looking at at least 700 million worldwide for the sequel, which would be great, like un- unqualified great. But less movies are getting released in China. No Marvel movie this year has been released in China. No Way Home will be the first. So like globally, I think it's going to be it's going to run away with it. Like, you know unsurprisingly it's spider-man what do you you know i mean it's not but this goes back to my original point of like the only things that are working are things that are guaranteed to work so spider-man far from home came out in 2019 and its opening weekend was 92.5 million you think it's going to beat oh no no question no question i i would i I do i think even pandemic aside uh, i'm happy to go on record and say i think it's probably going to do 100 but like like a, like a, I'm not confident in saying it's going to go a lot over 100, but I think it'll be 100. <laughs> okay, well we shall see. Uh, thank you again for joining for the, me for this podcast. You can read more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read the, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.